You may be seated. Thank you for that warm and full introduction. I think I need to take you everywhere I go from now on. <laughs> take you. Um, Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Worthy is your name, worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise, worthy is your name, worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve. Praise, worthy is your name, worthy is your name, Jesus, you deserve the praise, worthy is your name, worthy is your name. Let's just offer up just a, a sacrifice of praise and worship to the Father. Now. Just where you are, just begin to, from the fruit of your lips, from the depths of your heart, begin to offer worship to the Lord. This is our ministry to the Lord. It's our ministry to the Lord. Let's offer him ministry. ministry. Minister to the Lord now. Let's minister to the Lord. Oh, come on. Let's, let's press in. Let's press in. Let's press in. Let's press in. Let's minister to the Lord. Let's minister to the Lord. As we press in. Let's press in.
Father, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, you are our strength. You are our redeemer. God, and for your sake, we pray these things in the name that has been given to us to pray. It is the name of Jesus. It is the name of Yeshua. Adonai, we bless you. Jehovah Jireh, we worship you. Jehovah Saba, we give you glory. You are a warrior. The lover of our soul, we bless you. And we love you so much. Let our hearts continue to beat for you. May the posture of our lives reflect that we have been with you. And Jesus, to you, we give you glory, we give you honor, and we give you praise. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen, 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 amen. It is so good to be with you on this beautiful Sunday morning. <laughs> I just want to, I want to give a special shout out to, I realized something um, a while ago that my wife and I have been married for 18 years. Um, yeah. And I, I have known her most of my adult life. Um, so over, over 20 plus years of being in relationship with each other, um, she still makes my liver quiver. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so will you love my wife, uh, Sharon? grateful to have some of our leaders here and folks from our Christ community in Philly. And um, I had a chance to, you know, text with uh, Pastor Terry for the past couple of days, and I'm excited to be here. I know he was really excited for me to come here. And, um, um, and my life has, has tremendously been impacted by his ministry and his life. Um, when, I was, when I was 16 years old, I'm over 40 now. My body keeps telling me I'm over 40. Because when I wake up, I'm like, ah. Um, <laughs> I see Craig nodding his head in the back. My good friend and brother, man. Um, but I remember um, around 15 or 16, he started discipling me. And took me to my first football game. Um, um, he was my youth pastor. Um, just spent time and time of just hearing me. Um, sharing me, pouring his heart and his life into me. And to be able to serve with such an amazing man who's with such great vision, um, but such a great heart for people. I mean, he, I've known many leaders in my time here on the earth. And serving in the military, you meet a lot of leaders. And serving in corporate America, you have leaders, but but by far, 
one of the greatest leaders on the planet who I've encountered is in my pastor, Terry Davis. So, both he and, he and Pam have, have shepherded my wife and I and our family, man, for over 20 years. So I am so grateful. Grateful for him and for, for Pastor Pam and all that they do um, and his love on them. You guys started a series, and it's beautiful that we're in the same series. This is always cool. Like, you know, I don't have to, like, come up with something different, something special to come and preach. It's just continue what I'm doing. So um, this is a series that has been really dear to my heart uh, because I love, I love Joseph. I love the life of Joseph. And when you read Genesis 37 through about 50, chapter 50, um, you see his entire life. Um, and there's so much that we can glean from the life of Joseph. If you're dealing with things in relationship, read the story of Joseph. If you're navigating a space where you're getting promotion, read the story of Joseph. If you were ever wrongfully accused of something, read the story of Joseph. In his life, we get a chance to depict and pull from things that have, have helped and shaped his life that we can glean from and find hidden truth that speaks to everyday life for us as believers who are trying to be like Jesus in every area of our lives. But one of the greatest lessons in the life of Joseph I've learned and I've seen that we all have a dream that God has given us. We all in a, in a space where God gives us a dream. It comes from God. And we're reminded from Jeremiah that he has a plan for us. It's a hope in the future. It's an expected end that he has for us. But what stops us from fulfilling our destiny is this one word that I like to use, which is called character. And the reason why most of us have not fulfilled what God has for our lives is because of character. And maybe God is not able to trust us in certain spaces because our character does not match the dream. We receive a vision from God. We're called of God to do a particular thing, but in the middle, there's this thing that we're working out with our character. Like, it's hard to work at a bank if you like to steal. If your fingers are a little sticky, you know, it's really hard for you to do that. Why? Because your character doesn't match the profession of which you believe you're called to do. It's called to pastor people if you don't like people. Why? Because your character doesn't match the vocation or the thing that you're called to do. In the life of Joseph, how does he get from this place of dream? At 17 years old, he receives a dream. And last week, you guys talked about that pride test. Where here he is, 17 years old, he gets a dream. And instead of going to his dad, because this is the way I would have done it, the 42-year-old version of me would have done it. At 17, I would have probably did the same thing. I would have went and said, hey, come gather around. I got a story to tell you. All of y'all, y'all going to bow down to me. My 42, maybe mature self, would have went to my dad and said, dad, I got this dream from God. Can you walk me through what this means? What is that? That's humility. Going to someone who's bigger than you, more, more mature than you, more seasoned than you, say, hey, I got this dream. I, I need to process it. I, I feel like it's from God, but I need you to judge it for me. 
But no. What Joseph did is says he went to his brothers who didn't even like him. And I'm going to add salt to this wound. You don't like me now, you're going to serve me later. And he tells them, I had this dream and everyone was bowing down to me. And you would think that would be enough. But he had another dream. And he said, I'm going to tell my dream again. Mom and dad, you come too. Can you imagine having a dream about your parents bowing down and you tell them? I wouldn't even tell them. When it happens, I'll say, I dreamt that, I dreamt that. You know? But he goes and he has this dream and he tells his brothers and then he brings his mom and dad and says, and I believe the dream was intentional. God will give us a dream to reveal what's in our hearts. And just because you're going to a season where you're being tested, God is working things out of you so that you can fulfill the plan that God has for your life. Peter said, beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the trials which are to try you. He says, when the glory of the Lord is revealed, you will be glad with exceeding joy. So because you are going through the test means you're able to pass the test. But it all talks about your character. So you went through this pride test, and this next test, I really love this next test because it's the, the pit test. Everyone say the pit test. I'm going to give you this statement. If you're taking notes, why don't you write this down? What is in my character that God is trying to shape so I can reach the destiny that God has for me? This is the question we're going to answer today. What is in my character that God is trying to shape so I can reach the destiny that God has for me. Here's another statement for us today. Your destiny will never be larger than your character can support. Your destiny will never be larger than your character can support. If you have your Bibles, let's together go to Genesis Chapter 37, and they'll project it on the screen. I gave them some slides to help me out a little bit, so it'll be pretty rich today. Genesis 37, I'm starting at verse 12. It says, Then his brothers went to feed his father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, here I am. I want to pause there. Many theologians believe that there was such animosity between Joseph and his older brothers. His brothers despised him. So they believed that at all times they had to be separated from each other with fear of them doing harm to, to Joseph. So in this context, as we see now Israel or Jacob um, having a father's heart and wanting to mend relationship with his sons, he says, maybe I'll step in and I'll, may, I'll do something to help and mend the relationship. He says his sons were out pastoring the flock. And here's the beauty. His sons have done this for over 20 plus years. They understood and knew how to be shepherds. So you sending a 17-year-old to come and check on me? It's kind of counterproductive. But yet in the father's heart, he says, man, I really, really want Joseph to be accepted and to be loved by his brothers. So what I'll do is I'll try to work and do what I can do to restore relationship. So he sends Joseph out 
to his brothers. The next verse says, Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring word back to me. So he sent them out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. The next verse. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. I want to stop there. Israel sends Joseph out to the field with the, the purpose of finding your brothers, seeing if things are well with them, and then bringing report back to him to say, hey, things are going great with my brothers. But he says as he was going, a certain man found him. Like he didn't find the man, but a certain man found him. Here's the beauty of what I, how many people have children? Have you ever at any time in your life sent your kids to go find something for you? You said, hey, boo-boo, I hope no one's name is boo-boo in here, but hey, boo-boo, can you go to the kitchen and grab whatever it is? Boo-boo goes to the kitchen, but 20 minutes later, boo-boo is nowhere to be found. And you walk into the kitchen and boo-boo's like, boo-boo, where is the thing I Oh, my fault, I forgot you asked me. This is what Joseph does. Joseph gets an instruction from his father. He says, go and see about your brothers. He goes and he gets distracted. The dreamer is now daydreaming. So he's looking around all of the beauty of the things, but then a certain man finds him and now begins to point him back to where he needs to be. Sometimes it's important to have certain people be able to point us back to where we need to be, to remind us of the purpose and destiny that God has called for our lives. And God will place people in our lives, a certain man, a certain woman, who will point us back to where we need to be. It says a certain man there found he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? So he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here. If I heard them say, let us go down to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dotham. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Now stop there for a minute. It said that they saw Joseph afar off. Do you realize how they saw? They didn't have binoculars. Do you know why they saw Joseph afar off? Because of that blasted coat. The coat that his father gave him that signified he was loved. And listen, we can look at this, this in two ways. As a son or a daughter of God, God gives you a coat. We all have a coat that says, I am accepted. I am loved by God. I am cherished. I am valuable. God loves me. But Joseph used his coat to show them I'm better than you. So Joseph wore this coat everywhere he went. Can you imagine going to the field, clean up at the sheep, and you wearing this $1,000 coat? Like you're going with the intent of showing, I'm better than you. Look at me. Check me out. I mean, it's 98 degrees. And Joseph is wearing this coat that he loves because my daddy gave it to me. And they see him afar off because he's wearing this coat. Not because he has an insecurity with himself, like, man, I, I, I don't know if I'm loved. He's wearing this coat because 
as I'm going out to the field, because I'm immature, I'm 17 years old, I'm going to show my brothers once again, I'm better than you. I'll show you once again, dad loves me more than he loves you. And here's the proof. Look at my coat. It says he sees them afar off. Let's go back to the text, the next verse. And they came near and they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. They don't even call the man by his name. They say, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some, let's say that word together, the, the pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. And we shall see what becomes of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of the hands and said, let us not kill him. Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness. And do not lay hand on him, that he might deliver him out of the hands and bring him back to his father. Let's pause there. They see Joseph afar off because of the cult. They conspire to kill him. Reuben, the oldest son, he says, no, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Probably a great idea not to kill your brother, I'm thinking. Probably good. Reuben heard it. He said, let's deliver him. That last stanza in the passage, I want you to write that down. Deliver him. Bring him back to his father. We're going to come back to that statement. That is an important statement. Deliver him. Bring him back to his father. What many theologians believe, and I believe also that Reuben in the text is a type of Christ, typology. He's a type of Christ, one who delivers and brings us back to the father. Deliver him. Bring him back to his father. Let's go to the next verse, the next passage. So it came to pass when Joseph had, had come to his brothers, they, they stripped him of his, Joseph's tunic. The tunic of many colors was on him. They took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. They lit up their eyes, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And the camels bearing spice, balm, myrrh on the way to carry down to Egypt. Here's the interesting thing. They see him. They strip him of his tunic, of his robe. They throw him into this pit. You know you have to be really upset to throw someone into a pit and then make a bologna and cheese sandwich? I mean, that's another type of crazy. Like, I understand you throwing the man into the pit. Just leave him. But he's in the pit. What you want to eat? You want mayo in your sandwich? You want, you want some, some, some chips? And I can imagine them sitting there eating turkey and cheese, maybe some Cheetos and some Doritos and, and Hawaiian punch with a Coca-Cola on the side. And they're just having a meal while their brother is sitting in Which makes me wonder, how many times have we seen people in the pit have ignored them? And we just had a meal. We, were, we, have some, we have become so detached from people that we can see the plight of man and we can enjoy a cheesesteak. We can see the plight of man. 
and we can sit and enjoy our lunch. For many who are starving and struggling and bruised and hurt, just like Joseph's brothers, they conspired to kill him, they threw him in a pit, and all the while they make a sandwich. Let's go back to the text. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? I got a better idea. Let's sell him. I want to pause. Selling your family is wrong. We probably shouldn't do that. He said, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our flesh and blood. And his brothers listened and the many night traders passed by, and so the brothers pulled Joseph and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more. Where shall I go? They took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of goats, and dipped the tunic in blood. And they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? He recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without a doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes. But sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many days. And all, all of his sons and all of his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I shall go down to the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Let's look at the whole story. Joseph is thrown into a pit. They come together and say, hey, instead of killing him, let's just sell him. He is our flesh and blood. He's our brother. They sell Joseph for 20 shekels of silver. Joe Reuben, um, the one earlier that we talked about who said, man, maybe we shouldn't do this. But he had a plan to rescue him and to do what? You remember what I said? To bring him back to his father. He goes back to see if Joseph is there because he had an agenda, he said, man, I want to rescue him and I want to bring him back to, to his father. He gets there. Joseph is gone. He begins to rip his clothes as a sign of repentance and true submission. Like, man, I'm in mourning. How could this happen? His brothers conspire to now tell this story to their dad. Let's take the coat. We'll dip it in some goat's blood. Take it to our father with the intent of deceiving him. To make him think that his son that he loved was tore about wild beasts. They go to their father. They send the coat back to Israel, to Jacob. Jacob sees the coat. He sees the blood. And he begins to surmise on his own with some help from the enemy as to what now happened to his son. Because you realize they never told him the story. Even though they said, this is what we're going to tell dad, they never really told dad the story. When he saw the coat, he saw the blood, he began to think on his own, ah, oh, a wild beast has ate toward my son. 
And here's the part that gets sticky. The ones who conspired the story, the ones who made this elaborate plan is now the ones that are trying to comfort him. I mean, can you imagine being across the hall from dead and every night hearing dead cry about the death of his son, but yet across the hall you have the truth. How much pride is in one's heart to not come forward and say, Dad, I was wrong. This is what really happened. But for 20 plus years, Jacob would mourn the son, mourn the loss of his son. But yet his brothers and sisters, they knew the truth. They kept the lie going. They want to be honest with their father. I want to tell you something today. Be honest with God. He knows all anyway. He just wants us in humility to say, God, I'm messed up and I need you. Will you come and rescue me? He's not a taskmaster. He won't condemn you. But yet his brothers in this story, they knew the truth, had the truth, but didn't have the heart and the conviction of mind and will. To tell dad the truth. Here's some interesting truths about the pit. I want you to write this statement down or this phrase down the position of the pit. The position of the pit. At one time in our lives, we will all be in a pit. But the question first to ask is, how did I get here? If we go back to the story, we look at the life of Joseph. I can imagine what Joseph is thinking while he's sitting in this pit. How did I get here? Maybe it was because I told my brothers about this dream. Maybe it was because this coat that I consistently wore around to parade that I am better, that, God, that he loves me more than he loves you. And sometimes in our lives, when it comes to things that happen to us, we blame everyone else around us. And instead of asking God, search my heart. Is there something that I have done in this space? There's a story of a man who just got a job Got himself an apartment, doing really, really well for himself. But he got fired. He's only on the job for 60 days, got fired. He comes to the church and talks to the pastor. He says, Pastor, I need prayer because I got fired from my job. I believe they're, they're pointing me out. The pastor says, son, well, what happened? He says, well, you know, I was on my job for that first 90 days, the probation period. They told me I couldn't call out of work, but I only called out seven times. He says, well, why did you call out? He said, I just needed a break. He said, well, you just got the job. You, you haven't been working for a year. How do you need a break? He said, you don't understand. Life is hard. I needed a break. I had to call out of work. He says, okay, what else did you do? He says, well, I may have been late a couple times. He said, how many times were you late? Oh, about 20. He says, son, do you think maybe you got fired because you lack character? Because you, you called out of work. You showed up late for work, and you just weren't prepared. He says, no, that can't be it, because I'm a great worker. 
you don't go to work, how are you a great worker? So what this young man was doing was, I'm going to blame everyone else around me. Instead of taking ownership and say, you know what? That was my fault. I did that. And sometimes in our lives we have to ask the question, when it comes to being in the pit, how did I get here? And the next question really summarizes what we were talking about. Did I do something to attribute to the circumstance? Did I do something? Did I do something that, to contribute to the space that I am in today? It's called taking accountability. Every pit that you are in is not because of the devil. And sometimes you give the devil too much credit. You're in that pit because you lied on your taxes, and that's why you're in prison. And now you start the prison ministry. And you're saying, the devil did it. No, the devil didn't do it. The devil didn't make you cheat. He didn't make you steal. You did it. He may have made a suggestion. He suggested you to do things, but you, you did that. So instead of blaming the world, instead of blaming the culture, instead of blaming the devil, how about saying, you know what? I messed up. I did that. That's the position of the pit. I love what Charles Swindoll says. He says, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. I love that statement. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. So we talked about the position of the pit. Now, write this down. The perspective of the pit. The perspective of the pit. When you're in the pit, it is important for us not to entertain thoughts that come from spiritual wickedness. It is so important for us not to entertain thoughts. Anytime you're in the pit, the first voice, the first thing you hear is the enemy. The enemy tells you, see, you deserve this. See, you're no good. God doesn't love you. If he did, why would you be in the pit? You made a huge mistake. You can never recover from this. That is the voice of the enemy. We must know the difference between conviction and condemnation. God never condemns. I was expecting more of an amen on that. Let me say that one more time. God never condemns. You want to know the theological reason for that? St. John 3, 16 is probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Who knows it? Oh, we got a little faint. Come on now. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world. The most famous verse in the Bible. But you know John 3, 17? It says, God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. You know why he didn't? Because we were already condemned. Like we were already condemned. So why would God send Jesus to condemn us when we were already condemned? He came so that he could save us. And here's that term, bring us back to the Father. So when we're understanding the perspective of the pit, we must know the difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is so uh, 
general, you're bad. Okay, what's bad about me? You're just bad. Condemnation. Conviction says, son, daughter, this is where I want to help you. I want to correct course you. This is what you did. I'm going to pull you out of that. I want to convince you that, that my way is right. Conviction only means God convincing you that his way is the right way. That his truth is right. It tells us that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You walk after the flesh, after the spirit. So it is impossible for God to condemn us. Possible for God to condemn us. Here's a statement I want, to, I want you to write down. If Satan is talking, he's lying. Anytime the devil is talking, he is lying. John 10 tells us that the thief comes not just to steal, kill, and to destroy. And sometimes you think destroying of things. It could be. It also be stealing your confidence, stealing truth, stealing what the Father said. You ever realize when Jesus was baptized in the river, the Spirit of the Lord descended on him like a dove? And I love that word picture because, uh, and I see these pictures of like the dove coming out. It's like this little pretty little bird. No, he cracked the sky open. You know how much force it takes to crack the sky open? So what God does, he cracked the sky open to get a message to his son. The message was, anyone know what it is? You're my son and I am pleased with you. Or you bring me great joy. And I always questioned that thought. At that point of life, what had Jesus done that was written that we could read about? Nothing. From that point, he began, then he began his ministry that we begin to read about in the Gospels. So here's what I believe. There's nothing that you could ever do to make God love you anymore. Why? Because he just loves you and he is pleased with you. Before you do a thing for God, God already loves you. And that is the position in which we live our lives. Here's the beauty of that text. He's baptized. He comes out of the water. The Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. He hears the father say in a crowd of witnesses, this is my son. He brings me joy. But then he's led into the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4 to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. You know the first thing the devil says to him? Did God really say? If you really are the son of God. What do you mean if I am? He just told me I'm the son of God. So anytime the devil is talking, anytime spiritual wickedness is talking, he is always lying. It's always contrary to how God feels, what God thinks. And some of us, we need to stop listening and entertaining the voices of spiritual wickedness who tells you you're never going to make it. You're not good enough. But it's contrary to what God says. I'm accepted and the beloved. I'm the head and not the tail, above only and never beneath. I'm more than a, you know what you know what it means to be more than a conqueror? I conquer and then I do more. I mean, it's, it doesn't take a deep th No, I conquer, I do more than that. I'm more than a conqueror. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. 
all of the truths that come from the heart of the Father. So if Satan is lying, if he's talking, that brother's always lying. Always lying. So we've talked about the position of the pit, asking ourselves the question, how did I get here? The perspective of the pit, not entertaining thoughts from the enemy. It must know the difference between conviction and condemnation. Write this statement down for us. The purpose of the pit. The purpose of the pit. There's a purpose to every pit. The purpose is to get us to cry out to God. To get us to cry out to to God. If there was no pit, I wonder how I wonder if we would cry out to him. I want to give this this reference text, Jonah chapter two. I didn't give them this in the back, but I'll just read it from here. Um, Jonah chapter two, verse one, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. That is always interesting. I mean, you want to talk about a time to pray while you're inside a fish. That's a great time to pray. <laughs> I cried out to the Lord, duh. Yeah, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. And he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead. And the Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountain. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. The purpose of the pit is to get us to cry out to God. When was the last time you cried out to God? In the middle of the situation that you were in. But there's purpose in this. And God uses everything for his glory. And if it takes a pit, God, you got my attention. You know, the Bible says in Romans 8, that all things work together for Here's the beauty. Just because you can't see it does not mean that it's not working together. He says, all things work together for good. Sometimes you just need to have the right perspective. I told you to remember a phrase in the beginning of our time. Who remembers that phrase? I said it 20 minutes ago. Come help me out. The purpose of the pit, to get us across to God, and the purpose of every pit is to deliver us and bring us back to the Father. Genesis 37, 22, it says, Reuben said to them, shed no action, 
shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness. Do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. The purpose of every pit, to get us a crowd to God and to deliver us and bring us back to the Father. Why is this, why is this so timeless and significant? Here's what I believe. The thing that you're going through today is extremely indicative that God has a plan for you. I want to say that again for us today. The very thing that you are going through today is a reflection of the heart of the Father that says, Son, daughter, I have amazing plans for you. And these things are needed so that you can fulfill the destiny in which I have called you to. So Joseph being thrown into the pit wasn't, oh, don't feel bad for Joseph. Don't feel bad for Joseph. Because Joseph needed the pit to fulfill his destiny. In other words, you need the pit to fulfill your destiny. You need to be in a position or a place where you begin to cry out to God. And God always saves. He always heals. He always delivers. He always comes through. He's always mighty to save. Because it's a part of who he is. He's never lost a battle. And he never will. Why? Because my God saves. My God delivers. My God restores. My God is a way maker. My God is a deliverer. My God is a restorer. And his purpose is to deliver us and to bring us right back to the Father. What does that look like? It doesn't mean I come back to God and I start over. No, he says I'll place you exactly where you were. Even though I just came out of the pit. They sang this song earlier that man, he is a way maker. He's a miracle worker. Why? That's, that's who he is. Oh man, I wish, I wish I had about 35 people here today who've ever been rescued from the pit. Come on, I wish I had about 35 to 40, maybe 50 people who will testify of the goodness of God that I've been rescued from the pit. He lifted me up. He restored me. I've been rescued by a God who saw me who grabbed me, who lifted me up. And God is still doing it today. 
who's still saving today. He's still healing today. He's still delivering today. He is still restoring today. Why? Because that is who he is. And if it had not been for the pit, Joseph would not have fulfilled his destiny. Let me encourage you today. Your pit has purpose. Don't skip the process. I know it's hard. I know it seems unfair, but God is good. He won't put more on you than you can't handle. So while you're in that pit, lift up your head, O ye gates, ye everlasting doors, and you let the King of glory come in. Who is this King of glory? He is the Lord God, strong and mighty. The Lord God, mighty in battle. Lift up your head. 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 such a deep call to just worship for a moment. So just where you are, man, let's begin to just worship the Father. Come on, let's just worship the Lord.